Okay, hello. Welcome to the Lavender Menace podcast. My name is Sunny. I use they, she pronouns, and I am a booktuber. I am a cancer son, and it's cancer season. So what about you, Renaissance? Hi, my name is Renaissance. I also use they, she pronouns. I'm a flaky YouTuber, an Evelyn Hugo apologist, even though she did nothing wrong, and therefore there's nothing to apologize for. And... Right. Um, someone in the grips, the, the thralls of hyperfixation. Like, one of the strongest I've ever had in my life. Like, middle school level oh, no. of unmedicated hyperfixation, yeah. which we'll get into. So basically, Renaissance is currently hyperfixating on the seven, the seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And if you follow me on BookTube or if you are in any sort of book internet space, you know that this book has been hyped for genuinely years. Like, years. Sorry, I just got out of the pool, which is why my lips were chapped AF for the people who are watching on the live, just... Oh, I'm going... Oh, yeah, for those of us who are just listening on the podcast, we are on Instagram Live right now, so if there's, like, hiccups or anything, that's why. And also, the Instagram Live format situation is, like, gonna be a regular thing for all of our seasons. So at the beginning of every season, because every season is 10 episodes, we will be talking... Uh, we'll be hanging out and talking on Instagram so you guys can, like, interact with us, obviously. So, yeah, what were you going to say, Renaissance? Oh, uh, I was just going to say one of my... Uh, I was going to do it again, one of my oops, which I need to stop. But, anyway. <laughs> You've done that in the last I two know. episodes. <laughs> but, because to me, oomph is the noun. But, anyway. Right. So, oomph. Like, read the book when it came out, like, I think back in 2017, and so literally has been, like, knows the ins and outs of it for the past four years, and it's just watching me spiral. Uh, people who follow, like, yeah. my personal Twitter, the RX, Nissans, whatever, like, just so you know, every tweet about Evelyn Hugo on that account, there's, like, ten that I've tweeted on my stand account that you don't see. So if you think that it's bad <laughs> on my personal account... Imagine my stan account mutuals. Like, they are going through it with me. They're just like, every yeah. day they wake up, and it's just 50 absolutely insane tweets by me about Evelyn yeah. Hugo. You're really coping. This is like a cope situation. Oh, it's like, I don't know what, like, chemical, like, I want an MRI of my brain in this peak hyperfixation state, and like, what is the chemical balance that literally this book is giving me? Is causing... Yeah. Like, yes, there, yeah, there has to yeah. be some, like, physical representation of where this book lives right. in my mind. There's a medical reasoning Literally. as to this. Like, is it a birth oh defect yeah. that is manifesting? Like, what is happening with this book? <laughs> Something that just got triggered, like, once you... A latent mental illness I fear. that was, like, once you read this book, you launched it. Exactly. Yeah, that's fair. So every episode, we have three parts. We first talk about a hot take that's been submitted by you, the listener, viewer. Uh, and this week, we had one in our emails. I'm forgetting the, per the name of the person who sent it, but I think... But I do remember the contents of it, so we'll get to get into that. And then the second part of the podcast is us discussing a piece of media that we've consumed together. And this week, this episode, this live, we're going to be talking about The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid, which we've already started discussing, but I didn't read it recently. I read it, like, in 2018, so it was a while ago, but Renaissance obviously is currently going through the throes of a hyperfixation on it, because they recently finished it. So that's what we'll be talking about. And then finally, we will be recommending to each other media that uh, we would like the other person to like get into. So 
that's that's what's happening today. Yes, I just found the email, and the person who submitted it is named Robin. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Robin. So do you want to read up, read to us the email? Yes. So, Robin submitted, hot take submission, should straight women be welcomed in gay bars? I'm a lesbian who is very feminine presenting, and people would often say I, quote-unquote, look straight. My sister is straight and enjoys going to gay bars with her fellow straight female friends. She told me she thought it was weird that women approached them since they clearly look straight. And when I told her that gay bars were not for straight people, she told me that it's okay because she's an ally. I think that's really unfair because as lesbians, many of us don't feel safe to approach women without feeling like a predator. And so gay bars are the only places we can feel safe to approach a girl. She feels that she deserves to go to get away from men. But straight women in gay bars puts lesbian slash woman-loving women people back in a position to feel like an outcast or a predator and like they can't approach a woman. And it's unfair to put the wants of straight women over the wants of gay women in a gay bar. Oh, and come on. Oh, and come on. <laughs> they should have known because she looks straight. Then what the heck am I? People might say that about me. But it's unfair to put that responsibility back on gay women in a gay bar. I don't think straight people, women in this case, allies or not, should go to gay bars. What do you think? I love your podcast. It is so validating. Thank you for the compliments on. Thank you, Robin. Yes. Very, very sweet. my initial reaction was, well, something that I've heard from my friends is that, like, some of my like gay women friends will go to gay bars like for the explicit purpose of you know doing gay things at the gay bar but then they'll get hit on by like dudes who are like like straight dudes presumably who are Mm -hmm. just also there so i think like the presence of like straight people in a gay bar in general it's like and like trying to do trying to do this do straight things that you could do at any other bar is that's inherently really frustrating i feel well it's like sexuality gentrification (laughs) it's like like (laughs) white people moving into a historically like black neighborhood or something like that like there are black neighborhoods for a reason because of segregation there are gay bars because gay people weren't allowed to do gay things in straight bars because it was illegal because you'd literally be like brutalized not only by the state but just by the people around you by being gay in public social spaces so straight people and i think I mean, they're speaking about their sister, but also this is, like, their experience, say that, or, uh, like, right, that their sister says that she feels that she deserves to get away from men. Straight people do not deserve anything in gay spaces, in queer spaces. Like, you are a And also, it's like, if you're trying to get away from men... No, literally. Like, the purpose of a gay bar is not for you. Exactly. Like, this is, this is well, not because, for like, you. Go find a, a woman-owned yeah. bar or a place that's, like, specifically not curated for men. Like, if that space needs to be created, whatever. Like, yes, there should be spaces away from men, but that doesn't mean a straight person yeah. deserves to be in a gay bar. At the very least, it's like, if you're gonna be a straight girl at a gay bar... Like, why are you getting offended when women hit on you? Because, like, that's the whole fucking point of the bar. (laughs) Girl, what? (laughs) I don't get it. Why are you being, like, and it's also so weird because it's like, oh, I look straight. It's like, 
like what a straight person thinks looking straight means versus what a gay person or a queer person thinks looking straight means totally different and your perception and your limitations as someone who's not gay in a gay space like that should not be the precedent that should not be the perspective from which you are like approaching approaching this whole situation it's so it's like literally homophobic even if you're calling yourself an ally it's like this is not ally behavior you're just you're being a dick well how can you be an ally but also be offended that a lesbian might think you're attractive like that's literally homophobic like that's not an allyship but also i feel like people just think like oh i'm not gonna punch a gay person in the face means being an ally it's like no like you actually have to reflect on your relationship to the queer community and if you don't know as little as like how aesthetics can be cues for sexuality or the validity or lack of validity in those ideas then you are not an ally and you don't deserve any space in queer spaces especially something as like prominent as gay bars and their role in queer history is like no straight person deserves the space that like you're not entitled to the space in the first place and you're not entitled so if you if you as a straight person think you're an ally then shouldn't you respect the spaces that are specific to gay people and queer people and like not try to impede on that spaces and if even if you were to go to like a gay bar at least not get offended by you getting hit on like that is i feel like that's such the bare minimum like people will be like oh i'm not homophobic and then so clearly do all of the things that are just blatantly like exclusionary and like homophobic to like lesbians specifically i think a lot of like girls and like cis straight girls think that they're not homophobic because they like the aesthetic of like gay men and they like the way that gay men are not like innate threats to them as people the way that straight men oftentimes are um but like just because you can you enjoy that and you enjoy like whatever you perceive to be gay men's culture that's not that's not a reason for you that's not you like you're not then entitled to spaces where queer women like women who, women who are gay whom you're not comfortable with because so many cishet girls are just not comfortable with like women being gay they're fine with like dudes being gay but like it's it's just so it's there's it's, layers uh, of the offense way that we to this like there's multiple exactly like this is not like yeah. you ran one stop sign like there's multiple warrants out for your arrest yeah. like multiple like you're you're offending me on the level of okay we're both women you're offending me because you're treating me as someone who's not equal to you as like a woman right you're, and then you're also treating me as like as badly because i'm gay like it's it, there's so many levels and you're also there in the first place which you shouldn't even be like you're you're intruding on a space that's not for you so there's like so many levels to this that are like fucked up where it's like you know robin your sister is wrong for that because that is weird like also why would you why would you even assume the why would you even assume like the the gendered like sort of like oh i think because i am a cis straight girl and i look like this every other person who i perceive to look like me is also good then also a straight cis girl how do you like, know also, like you just don't know like, high femme lesbians exist like high femme queer people exist and they're always often perceived as being straight because maybe their aesthetic doesn't exclusively break 
the, like, prescribed norms or something. And so then saying that, oh, I look straight, like, what does that even mean? And especially, I think, it's just like, girl, your sister is a lesbian. And your sister is also, presumably, a femme lesbian. So, like, have you learned nothing? Like, have you observed nothing? Which, I mean, I guess is par for the course for a cis het person. But, like, it's really reminding me of, like, when white people go into black spaces or any ethnic space to get away from racist white people. But it's like, babe, if you knew (laughs) what, how racism and how racism within white people work, you wouldn't have even gone to this space to, like, escape the quote-unquote other white people to begin with. Like, if you as a straight person know that gay people are not safe in straight bars, then you would know that you as a straight person, regardless of what you think you are, are also dangerous in this space because you are straight in a queer space. Like, people do not... And I think uh, because, like, uh, like, as a woman, the sister, Robin's sister, is still affected by misogyny they feel that they deserve a space away from that like that's what they say that they deserve a space away Mm. from men invest time in like fighting the patriarchy learn something read something it's not gonna like like the your perceived um like threats your perceived sense of danger in the world is not going to dissipate because you invade queer spaces like it is like yeah a a structural thing so yeah you don't deserve anything um like in terms of being a straight person in in queer spaces like that's just not something that exists ally or not yeah don't yeah oppressors always feel entitled to not only the space like they feel entitled to the world right because they imagine that the world is limited to them only but then when they understand that the world is not just limited to them only they then feel the need to like intrude on the spaces that are specifically not for them and it's like why this space exists because you exist in a bad way it's like not positive (laughs) so why are you coming here especially if you're gonna come here and then be home it's like it's like when people when like rich yuppies move into ethnic neighborhoods and are like oh my god like i the food smells so bad the people are so loud it's like you moved here bitch bro like you're looking for you're looking for low rent in a good location and you're now in (laughs) chinatown or whatever and you don't like it that people who've been living here for decades do the things that they've been doing for decades it's like well that seems like a you problem like that seems like your choice oh my god literally so robin to round out the segment your sister's wrong, and if you need a way to tell your sister to stop going to gay bars, feel free to play this episode <laughs> as many times as you need. This is our gift to you. Every season, yeah. we'll give a little gift to one of our listeners, and Robin, it's a little your, gift, yes. this is your petit cadeau for you, so enjoy. And oh Robin's sister, I hope you find a bar that is for straight people that you feel comfortable in, um, but yeah. please stop taking your straight friends, or at least read about lesbianism and stop being offended by lesbians hitting on you. One or the other. Yeah. But you can't keep doing what you're doing. Anyways, on to the second segment about a real lesbian and a bisexual who have taken over my life and are all that I've A real lesbian and a real bisexual? These are fictional characters. No, no, no. (laughs) Okay, like, they are, but they're real fictional characters, you know? Okay, right. Exactly. So... Like, they're fake, but they're real. They live in my spirit. I embody. Like, it's like, you know that, oh, um, I don't know if you see. Yeah, have you seen Sweet Life of Zack and Cody? And there's the Halloween episode where Esteban 
gets no. um, possessed by the ghost that's living in the hotel room. Every, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Every but listener knows I understand. what I'm talking about you. I get it. Okay, okay. <laughs> I am currently, okay. every day, every hour, I waffle between being possessed by either Evelyn Hugo or Celia St. James. I feel like I am their love child, but also I'm Monique, but also I'm everyone. Uh-huh. It's all of them live inside me every given mm-hmm. moment. Yes. No, it's, it's like true. I can like, feel them. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Since I read The Seven Husbands, like, oh, yeah. years ago, um, a lot of, some of the details have, like, slipped through my brain, so sometimes Renaissance will be like, oh, remember when this happened? I'm like, okay, yeah, like that. And then they'll be like, no, because, no, this other thing. <laughs> so, I, d- I mean. I know this book I'm- in such intense, okay, let me tell you, hold on. I, no, like, I need to talk about this. I kind of recommended this for the segment just so that I could, like, really steer the ship on this one because it's seared into my brain. So, first of all, just for context, I've memorized several movies. Whenever there's a movie that I like a lot, I'll, like, re-watch the scenes, and I'll, like, learn it frame for frame, and then re-watch the movie in my mind. And it's, like, that is, like, me, but with this book. Like, how my mind's eye has, like, externalized, but it's still internal, this book in my mind. Mm-hmm. I, I'm rereading, and by rereading, I mean, like, rewatching this book. Yeah. Uh, for over the past 72 hours. I know it in such intense detail. Every single night, I read just the Evelia. I'm, I've coined that ship name. The Evelia um, scenes, starting from when they first meet on set, <laughs> to the wine scene, to the vanity scene, <laughs> to the... Oh my gosh, what's the next one? I don't, I don't reread the Palm Springs scene because it hurts too much, and I don't reread the Max Riva or Max Riviera chapter. Max Riva. Wait, the Max Riva chapter? Let me it's, tell okay, you. Okay, no. Max it's brilliant. Riva? It's brilliantly written. It's one of my favorite, it was one of my favorite chapters to initially read, but the absolute stabbing in all of my major organs that that chapter brings. Well, really yeah. it's the aftermath. Well, see- the, the reason why I parked up at Max, Ma, Ma, uh, uh, Riva, the Riva person, mm-hmm. is that I, while you were reading The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, I was reading Taylor Drake and Reed's most recent book, Malibu Rising, which is all about Max Riva and the Riva family, because Riva, as we know from The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, is a piece of shit and, like, evil, so he, he, like, has a family with this one woman and then just leaves and so this whole family of kids all have to like raise each other and raise themselves and we kind of follow like we follow him their mother him meeting their mother june um in the 50s and the 60s him courting her them getting married them having kids and then him becoming like his rise of fame and becoming this huge pop star this like super famous singer and also at the very beginning of the book um eventually we, we know from the very be- beginning of malibu rise that the oldest the oldest sibling the daughter who has spent the most time with Max Riva um, Nina she is now like a famous supermodel so supermodel Nina is like rich now and like has you know has like a huge McMansion on the beach in Malibu but um, we all we know that uh, 
we, we know that she hosts this huge party for all of Hollywood every every year during the summer. And so at the beginning, um, like, we, we we're kind of talking about how this party usually goes, and and uh, Celia St. James gets brought up, and it was really funny because when I when I heard when I heard it in the audiobook, it was like it was like oh yeah uh, at the last party this one producer got super drunk and said I have proof that Celia St. James is gay, and that was <laughs> that was like a throwaway line at the beginning of Malibu Rising that I was like oh my god, and we also learn about like we kind of get the because you know it's set in the 50s and the 80s we kind of get get those glimpses of like hollywood and glamour and stuff that incorporates a lot of the characters that um that are in the, the seven husbands of Ellen hugo which i think like taylor jenkins reed did like such an incredible job of integrating and creating this like not real but so real feeling world of like it feels famous like people I rich was famous people reading it because i read the last like 60 some percent of it in one day and over 60 percent of it in the same 24 hours and when I was reading my face was so close to the book because like (laughs) if I get close enough I'll just be able to fall into the book just let me in let me in like that Eric Andre club like literally but also I gasped because guess what was behind me this entire time Billie Holiday and if you read the book and remember you know that Billie Holiday that's th- that's their like song. They don't have like a specific. Well, I think there's one. I think there's an album that's like their album, and it's I don't uh-huh. I don't want to spoil it, but it's like Billie Holiday is very important to the Evelyn Hugo, Celia St. James, lore universe, my beloveds, and um. Oh my gosh! Also, I cannot stop listening to Taylor Swift and like thinking of them and the Imagining. various like the various yeah. scenes it's like okay no I don't want to talk about the adaption because if I talk about the adaption I'm just gonna get angry stressed and upset and distraught and that's not <laughs> the state that I that need distraught. to be in. and like no like it affects oh me on such a like metaphysical level like I get I get sick to my stomach <laughs> I get chills I break out in cold sweats like shaking dry heaving it's <laughs> shaking, crying, screaming, throwing up. Literally, like, like about the adaptation. Uh, like it, oh like literally, it's like oh, I can't. But it's like the fan cams that exist in my mind. That if if the if the adaptation, I'm not gonna talk about it. But if it's good and I get my hands on that, the number of fan cams that I'm just gonna be pumping out <laughs> to Taylor Swift. I don't care. She can she can suspend every Taylor Swift song. Every I'm gonna go through her entire discography, going from backwards, going from Evermore to the t- self-titled. Uh, every single song <laughs> is going to have such a specifically curated fan cam right. and succession of scenes. Right, right. Oh my god. Because the thing is, is that, like, right now, most of the Evelyn, Evelyn Hugo edits are, like, Pinterest aesthetic photos, which, again, yeah. I have beef with, yeah. but I'm not going to get into, and, like, using quotes, and those work, but, like, I just want a fan cam of Evelyn Hugo looking hot, just walking, just every clip of her walking in any scene, just standing. Just, like, <laughs> I can I can imagine it. Exactly. Like, <laughs> just and, like, the way that people would do that. Oh my gosh, the pain in that I can see something so clearly in my mind's eye and I can't externalize it is causing me, like, I'm gonna get an ulcer from my lack of ability to see, this is why, this is why I love, like, I think when I finished reading Some of the Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, I read it pretty similarly. I remember I, like, got home one day, ran into my bed, and, like, 
I checked it out from the library, so I, I had already read the first, like, 20 pages, but then I read the rest of the book, like, literally cover to cover in one sitting in my bed, and, like, was losing my shit towards the end at that twist. I was like, no way. And then, and then I had to go on Tumblr and look up, like, look up people's, like, quotes and, and their fucking, like, you know, their, their stills of random celebrities being like, oh, this is, this is that, and this mm-hmm. is that. So... I, I get the obsession and I and I really feel that but which is why with the adaptation like I remember this was so funny like maybe two three years ago I was like watching someone's booktube video and someone was recommending Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo in their video and then they were talking they were like okay I think like a Netflix adaptation of this would work so well and this is how I think it would work I think that for each of her husbands she could like, it would be each episode so it would be like a mini series and then like yeah for each I thought episode, that too. It would be different. yeah so people and I remember listening to this one like just this person talk about like their ideas about the adaptation about this adaptation and like what what they think they would do and then i remember last year i had heard from someone that freeform bought the rights to adapt it and i was like no this is gonna be bad and then i heard that someone else like netflix or something Mm -hmm. bought the rights to adapt but regardless like because i feel like so many like insane gay people you know cue us have such a distinct image of like what the story is supposed to look like and how you're supposed to feel from it like it's gonna it's gonna just be really hard to make something that's like not only good in quality but also like is is true to the story and also makes people happy because so many people fucking love this book and like have such vivid understandings of how how it should look visually and it's like i wonder if like i mean thinking about previous adaptations like uh, uh what how 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 accurately and how to the script like the adaptation should be like i wonder is taylor jenkins well, reed going to be she part is. of the taylor the, jenkins the reed is taylor jenkins reed's like confirmed is like one of the head writers or like is one of the script yeah, writers like, is like the one adapting it from book uh-huh. to script so which like they did with gone girl with um what's her face um that Jill- Jillian Flynn, right? Mm. That's the that's the author. Mm-hmm. She also helped write. I think she was the scriptwriter for that movie, and which like, is usually a good sign because that means that like a big company didn't just like buy out the rights, yeah, like just take it. Yeah, yeah, and just like is gonna <clears throat> just use it as a cash yeah. cow and not care about yeah. the book at all but see that adaptation was really good because the tension mm-hmm. and stuff was ad- adapted really and i've like watched video essays about why the adaptation was well which is like i fucking for, like praying to jesus praying to the lord every day that like that's also what occurs here because the like okay, i just pray I, that like whatever who... was in the hulu department when they adapted normal people I'm like, I need yeah, that. The drugs but, that they have. Yeah, like, whatever they laced that with, whatever however was in the they water. did that, bring it over yeah. here. I really hope that either Netflix or HBO is the one that takes it from Freeform, because they're the only ones that I think have the budget. Like, the, the actual, yeah, like, material yeah. to make something as a Create Hollywood. Yeah. From, like, create 60s Hollywood. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, not only does Freeform just not have the history of making good enough content that could hold a candle to the magnificentness <laughs> that is the Seven Husbands yeah. of Ellen Hugo. Like, b- plainly, they do not have the budget. Like, look at the material, yeah. there's none. Um, whereas yeah. <laughs> Netflix has created Buckingham Palace. Netflix has created actual 50s Hollywood in the Hollywood yeah. series 
with yeah. Ryan Murphy, which is not good. Do not recommend. But, like, the aesthetics <laughs> are similar. Like, it's, like take yeah. away the Ryan Murphy and just use that set. And, like, HBO has, like, Succession, Game of Thrones. Like, these... Euphoria. Exactly. Like, like these huge They have budget, good shows. Yes, like, the quality... <laughs> with celebrity-esque actors. Like, like the like, quality Like, really there. good actors. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm yeah. really... No, for sure. ...hoping one of them. But the thing is that if Netflix buys it, there's so many shitty Netflix things, and there's so many good Netflix things. Yeah. And I'm just so worried that this is going to end up in the wrong bucket, where I feel like HBO yeah. is more, like, a bit more in the bag. Like, I can, you know... Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, is that I think a miniseries, like a limited one season thing, would be great. But you know how, like, have you seen uh, The End of the Fucking World and I'm Not Okay With This? I've, those are both. Like, I've ad- seen End of the Fucking World. Yeah, so those are both adaptations of comic books and but written by the same guy. And I think the same that guy also helped write those shows. And they're both, like, miniseries limited to one or two seasons, but they're. They, even though they're not set in the same universe, they have, like, similar vibes, right? Similar cinematography, similar, like, writing. I think that, like, something like that for the Taylor Jenkins Reid universe would work so fucking well. Because I haven't read Daisy Jones and the Six yet, but, uh, because I've heard bad reviews. Like, I've, I, I hear basically 95, 98% good reviews about The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I've seen about 90% positive reviews about Malibu Rising, but I see, like, maybe 30 to 40% positive reviews about Daisy Jones and the Six. So it's... So it's, I'm just like, but I think something like that, because I can so perfectly imagine, like, an accompanying sort of series for Malibu Rising as well, and the way that, like, it could also be split into seven, like, episodes, and and the way that it kind of alternates in timelines, similarly to how, like, the Queen's Gambit kind of alternates in timelines, uh, and, and it kind of moves through time pretty fast, but it also, like... It also does a little reflection thing. And it I makes think sense. Like that would, the pacing makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And and it's, like, really tightly written, and, like, the set is so, like, immersive and stuff. Like, I need that. Because the other thing, the other thing about, like, the thing about The Seven Husbands of Helen Hugo that is so, I think, like, so good. The One of the best elements of it is the way that it creates such a vivid picture of Hollywood that doesn't romanticize it, but also, like, very much creates, it gives you that feeling of being there. I think Malibu Rising does the exact same thing in terms of, like, the California beach before it became just, like, rich people. Like, you know, because, you know, in the 50s and 60s before people started building their mansions on the cliffs and whatever, up all, all the way up till that point within the 80s and stuff. And, like, the way that just the little, little tinges of, like, politics and, like, more bigger things going on in the background kind of are integrated into the way that these characters and their relationships work. It's so perfect. It's so perfect. The setting that she that Jenkins is Taylor Taylor Jenkins reads is able to create like mwah, incredible. Like, Love that. She and then, really put her whole pussy on this book. Like whatever <laughs> like like because I have also heard like what um the oomph that like read this when it first came out and it's just like has been seeing me spiral and lose my mind like when I said I was like oh my gosh I need to read another one she's like this was an outlier like you don't really have to read Taylor Jenkins yeah yeah like you will like like no she's like like or they were like this is it like they they were like yeah you don't have to read the other one you don't have to yeah. So yeah. Is I, there anything else you want? Oh wait. Oh, something that that I thought about was, um, yeah. when I don't know if you've heard anything about the Shadow and Bone uh, adaptation on Netflix. Yeah. So basically, 
all of booktube like when that dropped my entire subscription box was just people's reactions to it like it was literally back to back to back so and that's because it like everyone has read lee bardugo's books not me though not i like everyone has read her series and it's like a series of fantasy books uh, there's like a duology in another series yeah and so the world that it created that netflix created and made and whatever everyone was like really interested to see how it works but i think like when and if you know some platform like netflix or hbo or whatever adapts um <laughs> the sound house with evelyn hugo the way like multiple pockets of the internet will literally explode because it won't only just be like book internet no. it'll be like crazy film. game people from all sectors. it like it will be like, <laughs> letterbox twitter book twitter milk twitter oh my god whoever they twitter. whoever they cast for like the older versions of like older, towards the end yeah milk i know like it doesn't matter if it's a good casting or not milk twitter will lose their fucking minds over it like even like the oh young starlet twitter like yeah. MILF Juniors. Yeah. Oh my gosh. MILF Juniors. <laughs> Not MILF Junior Twitter. <laughs> yes, because it's like Junior MILF, right? And they're like the people that are in like their mid to late 30s. Like they're not a MILF yet, but like you yeah. can see it. Like there's a projection. Yeah, Every actor and actress part of Twitter, like that's going to be my entire timeline. And then now that I'm like, yeah. I'm integrating myself into not necessarily book Twitter, but just the Evelyn Hugo specifically part of Twitter is yeah. like, like that's going to be I think it could it could take over the year like a whole 12 month calendar dedicated to just that yeah. if it's good but also, also it, if it's it bad really it's gonna be a whole calendar year dedicated to hating it so yeah either people way people will be so fucking mad yeah the way people will lose their fucking minds like I like bad. there's gonna be an uptick in crime if it's bad like actually <laughs> no it's like it's gonna be like the fucking like what's it it's it's like the Sino-Soviet split but it's like the pro <laughs> and anti Evelyn Hugo <laughs> adaptation people oh my god no like it's gonna be just like this random civil war in the streets where like only if you're yeah. in it you know what it's about and people are gonna be like right, what right, the right. fuck everyone else is like literally what the fuck literally yeah. just like cars tipped over and on fire and it's like Evelyn Hugo yeah. deserved <laughs> no literally okay. oh my god it also yeah. i'll probably make a youtube video just me talking about it so i can just rant about it here so if you guys uh, subscribe <laughs> to my youtube channel to see that video coming soon just right. me talking about evelyn Hugo. of course of course so. oh yeah this is okay we haven't made our new patreon yet but we are gonna make a patreon and that the thing is why i'm bringing this up is that f i think for our next week's like shared media thing that we're gonna talk about um we want to get we want to get patreon subscribers and patrons to like help us choose and like tell us what to consume together because for next week um because uh because renaissance is still on this Evelyn Hugo kick. We, I'm wondering whether we should we should read another one of Taylor Dickin reads like you know famous people books, um, and which one it should be because since I read Malibu Rising already, like I would either get Renaissance to read it this week for our next episode or <clears throat> um, or we could read together Daisy Jones from the Six because it's another like famous celebrity people like fictional perspective situation so. That's I think that we're gonna try to do that for, um, <clears throat> for within the next before the next launch, like the next drop of 
episode two for season two. So, yes, um, I guess we can move on to the last section of the podcast where we recommend to each other media, if that's all. Yeah. The way that oh I God. can't, like, this pot or this recording is the only time where I haven't called her, like, a- after every time I say her name, my best girl, or both of them, my beloveds, because that's literally just how I refer to them. It's like, especially my beloveds. I'm like, I'm taking my beloveds with me. I drive that's well, that's funny that- with this book in my car. I'm just like, I should take it just in case. <laughs> About five minutes. And I keep it, like, sitting in the passenger seat. I'm like, taking my girls out for a ride. Just like, me and the girls mm-hmm. out on the town. And it's a book. It's a two fictional that's characters. That's literally... You are delusional. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> that know. is so funny. No, because... That's funny that you like these characters so much, because I think after I finished the book, I was like, listen, I respect Evelyn, but I don't think she's a good person. Like, I was like, I don't really like her. anything wrong in her entire life. Because she said it. (laughs) No, I was like. She said there are things that maybe, like, I, I, you know, shouldn't have done it looking back or bad, but I don't regret anything, and I did the best with what I knew at that time. And I agree, there's nothing that... Evelyn doesn't look back on like disheartenly that I don't agree with and therefore I think that she hasn't done anything wrong because there's nothing that she does that I even in her reflection uh, that I disagree with like I she's never done anything wrong in her entire life well it was interesting (laughs) because someone who someone who like gave this book like a bad review or like didn't like it i i remember watching their video about it it wasn't a full review it was just like their wrap-up like their monthly like this is what i read and they were like yeah i gave this book two stars because i think they mostly because they're like i feel like this book really fucked over um monique's character or like if you know the ending like really fucked mm-hmm. over um monique and i i'm like mad at how taylor Jenkins reed did that or like whatever and i was like and I was like, okay, I mean, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, but like, not fair, re- like, I guess. not by the very, like, by the very end, the where we see Monique end up, like, it's not that bad. Like, like, there's a twist, and we're not like saying the twist aloud for those who haven't read it. It's like a pretty big one, but yeah, like. It was kind of necessary, I think, at that point, because you think that it's over, you think that it's in the clear, you think that you know everything, and then there's just this, like, literal, like, bomb that just gets dropped at the end. But it doesn't, like, it's not so Mm -hmm. close to the end that you don't see any form of recovery or bounce back. Like, I feel like it's, like, you think that it's going to end with Monique and Shatters, but it doesn't, though. Like, really. At least I, that's not I my think perspective. Monique, ultimately, Monique doesn't really, like, from what I remember, she doesn't really, like, forgive, like, Evelyn for, I guess, like, the, the, for the way things turned out, but she, like, does kind of leave with this sort of, like, begrudging respect for, like, her story and also for, like, what was, you know, what was going on and for her as a person, and I think, like, but that's at kind the of end, how, she... how I left as well. What did, she the... what did you say? I can't see your face. And Monique says that, like, there are some days where Evelyn Hugo is the woman that I admire the most in the world, and or, like, the most admirable person in the world that I've ever met, and then there are times when I wake up and I, you know, do not feel those feelings. So, it's not even that... Right. It's, it's like... It's not forgiveness, but it's also not not forgiveness. It's like like there's like still just, I guess adoration. for one of those things you just kind there's of have to make respect. peace with it. 
Yeah. yeah. And, it, it, uh, and also, like... Oh, I, I mean, it's Taylor big. Jenkins I'm not saying that books. it's not a big deal. I'm just saying it's like, I don't think yeah. she's wrong. <laughs> I don't think... I don't, and given the situation, given, how could Evelyn have known? How could Evelyn have known? Like, Evelyn did not do or, something like, prevented the in, situation? Yeah, like, like Evelyn didn't... In but I guess she Evelyn, did help with, like, the cover-up and whatever. And I think, well, it, it kind of does indicate, like, but the way how, that, like, but, celebrities can, like get away with things and the way that Taylor can read is kind of creating this fictional celebrity that like does get away with a lot of things or like does do a lot of like not but get away with what like, she doesn't do like, anything bad, bad. Things. what does she well, do that's bad I I don't I think I think the way that I think the way that she tried to like use tact to like co- cover her tracks and like get away from bad situations and stuff like I don't know I don't well I think that like the way that the story is framed as like a kind of a mystery from getting to the end where it's like yeah. we don't know why Monique as a journalist has been is the one who's been called to write this story and then we know after we sympathize with Evelyn Hugo and we know her entire backstory that's when we get to that's when we get to hear that's when we get Monique and I remember when I was reading the book I was like I don't care about Monique why is this why am I getting chapters of her life like it doesn't matter right. until it does which which is like Taylor Jenkins Reid you you've created these characters specifically to you've created this situation specifically to screw one of them over like instead of just telling us about Evelyn Hugo's story like the shock factor is inherent to the inherent to how the book is presented to us and in that it is su- it is super like mean to Monique because it like the way you know you could like the story could have been very much written about just Evelyn Hugo telling her own story right but like it, it wasn't framed that way it was framed but I also think that like in a way it, it was it, it's a very important um decision for the author to have made because a lot of her books and a lot of like the sort of and from after I read Malibu Rising a lot of the things that she deals with is like like daddy issues but like in like a way that is more like oh he left me or he died or whatever like these things these things are kind of explored in a more complicated way especially for people who are within the entertainment like industry but I think like what she ultimately does is create these characters who like none of them are basically none of them are like wow this is a good person and I really like that and like everything they do is something that like I 100% bad for unless you're insane like renaissance okay Um, well no (laughs) I think that there's like okay this is uh, we need to wrap this up one because Instagram's gonna kick us off until we have to do recommendations and we were gonna do this like minutes ago and then we end up continuing talking the last thing that I'm gonna say about this and then you can say your final thoughts is that there are no perfect situations. There's no way for this book to have perfect characters because the situations that they're in do not allow for perfect people options. However, with the situations and the circumstances that Evelyn is in, Harry's in, Celia's in, that Monique is in, I don't think any of them do anything wrong in in the situations that they, like, within the circumstances that they're given. Like, how could, like, Evelyn could not have been a better person she may not she may not have ended up being like a good person by metrics but there's no way that with the life that she lived that she could have been a better person i think she was the best person that she could have been given her life and given who she was and like that's why i don't think she's done anything wrong that's that's why i don't i don't necessarily see monique as someone who got fucked over and i like it when you read the scene when you read the scene that caused that causes 
the revealing that happens at the end. But Evelyn is completely, like, justified with how she handled it, I think. Like, it's kind of a, a crazy thing to do. It's insane, but it's also an insane situation that she was in. Like, like seeing that, witnessing that, what she went through, I, I do not think that she should be blamed at all. You know what I'm talking like, about? I'm, I'm asking not like, you I, know, I don't, I'm talking I about just like, don't think... because you read it years ago. Well, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but I think that my... I, I just was not as attached to these characters as you seem to be when I finished reading this book. Like, I just wasn't, because I, I did not really care that much, to be honest, about about these, like, characters as people. Like, I didn't have any sort of moral judgments about I was just kind of like, oh, well, that sucks or whatever. But I wasn't, like, I'm not, like, I wasn't invested in their relationship in the way that you seem to be. Because I was like, yeah. oh, well, it was never going to work out anyways. And so whatever like that sucks but like that's just what the story is about ultimately but i i this is why transitioning into recommendations why i would push for you reading malibu rising next because i think in malibu rising there's a very like clear character as to who is in the wrong and then there are a bunch of different characters who like you don't know who who's in the, and i and i want to know what side you kind of take or like what you what you feel about who is justified in doing what and like how people react to different situations because i have i have pretty strong feelings about those those mostly because i read it more recently but also just because i felt like the sort of like moral dilemmas that are presented to us within malibu rising are there's so much more it's like it's so vast compared to what's going on within uh seven husbands of Ellen hugo which is limited by the sort of like hollywood stardom situation like a lot of the conflicts are based out of like you know being like an actress who has friends who has loves and like the inner the the way that people look at her versus the way that her life actually is and there's an element of that in malibu rising as well because you know our main character the the person who instigates all the problems in the book mcreva is you know super famous and um the all the other character his his children are also super famous for being surfers and models um like the way that they handle the the, the sh really shitty things that they're dealt with in life um is interesting and i and i'm i'm interested to hear your takes on it which is why especially right after i've read it which is why i would recommend for you to read next um or within the next week so we can talk about it so that's that's my vote in terms of what we should what we should discuss next week but i think like beyond just that recommendation which i feel like since i already talked about this book at the very beginning of the podcast like it doesn't like count as a wreck because it's already gonna be voted upon on patreon once we set that up i think another book that i would recommend to you um that i read recently that i read like right after i finished Malibu rising was um a Curse of Roses. I'm forgetting who it's by, but it's by a Portuguese author. And it's a retelling of the Portuguese kingdom. I think, like, right after World War One, maybe? Or, no, it might have been before that. I don't remember. I don't know Portuguese history like that. But basically, it's kind My of telling us a story. It's, a, it's basically like a retelling of, of how uh, Princess... Isabel of Aragon married the king of Portugal at some point and uh, it's kind of a retelling of the situation because 
it kind of reimagines Isabel as a lesbian, first first and foremost, and second of all, as someone who is cur cursed with this sort of like magic of every time she touches food, it turns into flowers. Every time she touches bread, it turns into roses. And Portugal is in the middle of a famine, so it's a real it's a real problem. And she is she has to get married to the king, and she has to be healthy enough to get married to the king to provide heirs right whatever but she literally cannot feed herself because everything she touches turns into flowers so that's kind of the premise in which we're set up with and it feels very much like a fairy tale and a fairy tale retelling which is very similar like european history is framed in a fa in fairy tale ways so often that like i think it's a sort of it's a retelling in itself it's a retelling of history and thus fairy tale itself but what is like sapphic about it is well first of all Isabel, Princess Isabel is very Christian. She's very incredibly devout. So one of the things that she has to deal with is like navigating like her faith and stuff because part of what she, ha the reason why she can get away with starving herself is that she like, as Catholic, she's just like punishing herself for, you know, not being sinful or whatever. Uh, so the Pope and, and everyone and the priests are all like, oh, she's just being devout. That's why she's not eating. Duh, she's just fasting. No, she, like she literally physically can't eat. But basically, uh, one of her like best friends, she has like these two servants or like maid servants or whatever who know about her her issue but it's a secret to everyone else everyone else in the kingdom because she knows that if she told the pope they would behead her or like try to cast demons out of her or whatever and if she told her husband he would break off the engagement and that would be that would mean war for their kingdoms so basically her best friends are the only ones who know about her curse and so they're like okay you should free this spirit um you should free the spirit and the spirit is a girl and she's a more uh and they like develop this really close relationship and that's and that's the story but anyway a curse of roses i i loved it so much i gave it five stars and i'm really inspired to get like that for part partially inspired by a tattoo idea for this book so it's like really it's very much impacting me so that's my book recommendation for this episode. That's not just Malibu Rising. A bestie came into the chat. I was very excited. Um, yeah, I saw Elham. That is very exciting. Okay. those but Both of those books sounds good. I'm interested in reading Malibu Rising, obviously, but that recommendation also sounds good. Um, my recommendation, very quickly, is the film Imagine Me and You from 2005 oh to answer the question yes we are recording the podcast uh hope everyone enjoyed we didn't get that many viewers so fake fans but um ooh, <laughs> confessions in the chat okay i need to get on with my recommendation i said it's gonna be quick the recommendation is the film imagine me and you from 2005 uh directed by old parker and anyways it is a sapphic british rom-com from the early 2000s which british rom early 2000s or like mid 2000s British rom-coms are one of my favorite film genres just because of the nostalgia like they're not necessarily good films but they're just so much fun to watch and so the mm -hmm. fact that there's like a sapphic one is very intriguing to me but the plot of the film is <laughs> that 2005 this... as well pardon from 2005 as well yes exactly like and it didn't age I think terribly. I heard of this imagine me and you you I probably think, have I think I've heard it's of this, it's no, tell me pretty popular but it's like the only sapphic rom-com like all of them are sad period dramas which like i'm for like i'm not a hater but yeah i love a good rom-com and so the plot is is that this woman rachel or Luz? i forget which character's name is which i think rachel is the one that gets married rachel gets married 
and sees her like her florist is invited to the wedding just like as someone who contributed to the wedding and they like a little bit of hijinks ensues at the wedding that kind of like bonds them together and then they kind of like create this friendship and this woman who literally just married a man like discovers that maybe she's not as straight as she thinks she is and so like she's also the florist yeah and so there's literally a lesbian florist which is like yas the yasification of that um and so like yas nation yas bomb activated yeah and so the like the rom-com hijinks is like them being like flirty but she's like i don't know what these feelings are but not like a homophobic way but just in a way of like yeah like my like attraction to men has never been questioned like it was very much going through the motions but her husband Mm -hmm. also isn't a bad guy like we don't hate him we just feel bad for her because obviously she's going through Mm -hmm. this like deep identity crisis but Mm -hmm. no one is like it's not like the kind where you like oh if you want gay trauma porn of like seeing people be homophobic like it's not that it's fun it's literally fruity it's flirty it's like very that um so I love it. It's British. Rom-com. Early 2000s. There's a lesbian. There's a florist. There's a florist lesbian. Everyone should watch <laughs> this movie at least once. And uh-huh. it gives, like, listen to, like, this, paired with Taylor Swift, paired with thinking of Evelyn Hugo and Celia St. James. I mean, is that what I did for the past 24 hours today? Yes. Is it mental illness? Yes. But it's a very fun time. So watch the movie. Listen to, listen to Lover by Taylor Swift, which... We don't talk about the bridge of lover far enough as a society. But, anyways, <laughs> that's my recommendation. Yeah. yeah. That's funny because when I was reading Malu Rising, I was, like, in my notes app, writing down the songs of Taylor's of songs, and I was like, this fits, this fits, this fits. And I was like, wait, this... I was like, oh my god, wait, no. And so... And also, I I think I sent Renaissance a screenshot of this, but I looked up on Spotify, because you were listening to a the seven husbands of evelyn hugo like themed spotify playlist when you were reading it uh but i was trying to i was looking up a malibu rising theme playlist and there were many there were quite a few (laughs) gay people are crazy like i know recently i've been thinking i was like when homosexuality used to be listed as a mental illness i'm like they weren't 100 percent wrong you know they were not wrong. They were not they were not like for the wrong reasons (laughs) they were not wrong of gay people and mentally ill people, it's a circle. Exactly. It's a circle. The Venn diagram is a circle. It's like the TikTok audio, like, you got the right idea, but the wrong bitch. Like, you are calling gay people <laughs> mentally ill for the wrong reasons. It's everything besides the yeah. same-sex attraction that makes us insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the one sane Indeed. thing about us. No, exactly. Yeah. Oh my anyway, god. So, so, that was today's episode, yep. folks. Uh, that was the big launch of season two. You know how season one, we were talking about this, but season one was very much defined by The Divines by Ellie Eaton, whom we then interviewed for the podcast, and we mentioned, we name-dropped this book, like, every episode yeah. in season one. Uh, and now I think it's gonna be Taylor Drake and Reed's yeah. sort of era. Just of that, like, cinematic, with cinematic universe, but... <laughs> me only knowing but how to books. talk about movies <laughs> the cinematic universe of books right no literally i when i was talking to the same um uh i said i was like um i was like me talking about reading it's like movies but books because <laughs> that's literally <laughs> what i sound like i'm like this is just like a movie but it's a book <laughs> but it's a book yeah yeah. Anyway. It's it's quite cinematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both stories are very cinematic, I feel. Yeah. And that's 
that's why I think yes. So anyway, um, that's all for today, and you know, we'll once we have our Patreon up, we'll tweet it. Which, by the way, you should follow us on Twitter if you don't already at the Lavender Pod, and um, my personal Twitter is and 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 um, YouTube is a Sunny Booknook. My oh, and your Instagram is Sunny with the Camera. Sunny with the Camera, my, which is what I'm on right now on yes. live. My Instagram is at Renaissance Marie. My Twitter is at Renaissance with the first E as an X. I still haven't found a way to smoothly say what my Twitter handle is. Um, but my display name is also Renaissance Marie. And again, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at the Lavender Pod. And submit your hot takes to us on Twitter, on Instagram, or through our emails at uh, the Lavender Menace Podcast at gmail.com. So that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening or tuning in. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.